Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast from FilmStage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. We also have Bill Graham. Woo! And with us today for a classic episode to review Robert Altman's California Split, it's Brian Tallarico. Hello. Hello. How are you today, sir? Good. Excellent. And uh, as I said, today is another classic episode, since we are still slogging through a period in which uh, we just don't have many new releases to go through. Today we will be talking about the 1974 film, California Split, from Robert Altman, uh, written by Joseph Walsh. And this movie stars George Siegel and Elliot Gould, amongst others. Before we get into that, the usual stuff... Follow us on Twitter at FilmStageShow, Facebook, The FilmStageShow. Email us, podcast at FilmStage.com. And, of course, find us on iTunes. Give us a comment and rating. You can become a patron of this year podcast by going to Patreon.com slash TheFilmStageShow. For as little as $1 an episode, you get access to our Slack channel and the ability to uh, help us to create more great content by financially supporting us during this trying time. Um... Before we get into everything else, I should also remind people that we are brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema, where every day their fantastic curators bring you a brand new film to watch and enjoy. You have 30 days to watch before that film disappears forever. But they have a new announcement in terms of... Uh, uh, Brian, do you want to uh, take over or do you want me to... No, you've clearly stolen the spotlight, so why don't you do it? (laughs) Uh, As I I do, I want to spotlight Mubi's new library feature, which uh, finally gives us uh, deadbeats who uh, don't finish a movie in 30 days the chance to uh, maybe watch it. Um, And so there are... I've already taken a brief look, and it's terrifying what's there because... because we don't necessarily need another streaming service of great movies, but uh, you know what? I, I, I'll take it, I guess. Uh, so thank you very much to Mubi to continue to give me more anxiety about which movie I should watch every night. Yes. <laughs> but of course, uh, my favorite thing about Mubi has always been the curation aspect, which is still a big part of what they're doing. So they're doing their curation alongside their library so you got two great new ways to watch. Check out what's going on. Uh, speaking of which, uh, curation-wise, 1927 film Metropolis from Fritz Lang. A shameful blind spot for me. And now I can finally watch it because of movie, making it readily available. I can even download it to my phone so I can watch it as I sit on a beach. If you would like a free 30-day trial of Mubi, all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And uh, yeah, before we get into our review, 
we will, of course, as always, do our brief quarantine corner update to let everyone at home know how we are doing. Start with our guest, Brian Tallarico. How has the quarantine been treating you? Oh, my God. That's a deep question to start <laughs> off. Um, it's we been get up real. and down. I mean, I've been stressed out a little bit, like everyone else, of course, and anxious about the state of our industry and the world. Um, lost some work, gotten some work. As someone who... Not sure anyone else knows this, but I manage a lot of lists of the best things on streaming services for Vulture. And someone who makes a <laughs> decent chunk of change managing streaming service lists is doing all right in this current situation. <laughs> because everyone is looking for streaming stuff right now because we have nothing else to do. Um, not to eat into our sponsor at all, but I've been working today on an HBO Max guide because that launches on Wednesday. So speaking of another streaming service that just offers a ridiculous amount of content because they happen to get a lot of the Criterion titles for the HBO Max catalog. So there's mm -hmm. a ton of stuff in there, like That's way more than Netflix or Amazon or anyone else. Probably not more than movie and not more than Criterion Channel, but more than your standard fare of the streaming services. Well, at so, the same yeah, time, uh, still giving people, you know, the Game of Thrones and all yes. the stuff they could want. Game of Thrones and City Lights and Breathless all in one service. Um, <laughs> and the Snyder and, Cut. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Snyder Cut right next to Eight and a Half right there on HBO Max. So, <laughs> As it should be. As it always yeah. is meant to be, really. Yeah. So the long answer is it's been up and down, as I'm sure it has been for everybody. But hanging in there. It's all we can do. Indeed. Michael Snydell. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try not to be as much of a bummer as, as the usual in the quarantine corner. Uh, I, I will say, so my, my partner's birthday was last Thursday. And so we tried to, uh, we, we tried to make it a little more special. You know, we ate out and stuff. But I also want to thank our good friends who sent us something from Milk Bar, which oh. sounds literally like something that Stefan, I, I'm sorry. I said, whoa, milk bar. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like something like Stefan would say on, uh, on, on SNL or, or something. But mm -hmm. like there are ridiculous cookies on there. And then we made this sad decision to look at how much it would actually cost <laughs> to get on a semi-regular basis. And that was that was a bad decision. But it was, you know, it was nice enough to spend uh spend a birthday in quarantine and i have to thank uh our, our previous guest clint worthington who actually wrote a uh pretty great piece about how he helped his uh his his uh wife celebrate her birthday and uh he gave me some pointers that helped out so uh, thank you to clint and you know for trying to find some semblance of of norm uh normalcy and what's going on <laughs> so are birthdays usually like a big deal for for y'all like do you go out and do stuff because i as as a person who also had their birthday last thursday everyone's like oh man quarantine birthday and i was like look i don't do shit on my birthday anyway like i a birthday is a day for me you know and if i can get away with not seeing anyone or doing anything special that is a good day. My birthday is now two days after one of my children's, so the answer is no. My birthday means nothing to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always, I always blow it out, so I always have fun with it. So no, I, like, I don't do the birthday 
week or the birthday month or anything like that. But I definitely like people people that know me definitely get me a lot of like pumpkin spice stuff because oh, right. my yeah, birthday is in October and so it's prime pumpkin spice season and so like I just get a shit ton of pumpkin spice stuff whether it's like a a coffee mug or candies or generally candies um sometimes <laughs> beer things like that and so that just lasts me for the rest of the year <laughs> see that's just i don't know like again this is just me and my personality but like birthdays i'm like oh god like i could take it or leave it so when how he, old are you i am 33 now yeah they get less and less important the older you get I like, I mean, yeah stop. that's that's why i've Focus on the pumpkin spice. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna turn 33. So yeah, I'm I'm like just give me candy. Like that's pumpkin all I spice fucking will want. always be interesting. And, yeah. and once you have once you have kids, your birthday doesn't mean anything to anybody. Right. I mean that's definitely another thing. But like also just I don't know. There was a point when like I don't know. I was like 23, and I was like I just can't with this anymore. Like my birthday will involve me alone going to a movie theater, and then maybe I'll grill. And if you want to come over and eat some food, you can do it. <laughs> Here's, hopefully you've seen that movie <laughs> Here's what I'd offer I, I would say that I want the option To sure. go somewhere And then not at all Go anywhere <laughs> Alright, that <laughs> makes sense It was a that perfect quarantine situation <laughs> Yeah, but like, I would you know <laughs> I'd love it if everything was still open But I decided to quarantine regardless <laughs> Exactly all right. Don't make me feel bad about it. Jeez. <laughs> no. Bill Graham, how are you doing? Doing just fine. My uh my mother came over today and we decided to eat lunch at a at a burger place or bring it home at least. And uh so she should get see my uh my little puppy because she when Erica and I are both working full time and out of the house every now and then when we can't watch her for uh, lunchtime she'll come over to just kind of let her out and everything like that and so she just she loves seeing grandma and so it was it was the best because she just proceeded to freak out for about three solid minutes just oh. yes it was fun so that's what we did today is, is texas just open season now bill <laughs> oh no 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 no, not even close. Uh, okay. Oh, the, the the gym is also back open. So I, I put in twenty seven hours within the last two weeks over over at the gym. Yeah, you um, told us last week that they were like taking people's temperatures and yeah, yeah, with a laser. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> what, yeah. I had my first classes this week, and so um, yeah, that was uh, that was fun. Um, yeah, no, coaching in a mask is okay. It, I've I've realized like moving about and just doing doing everything that you normally do in a mask is fairly easy and normal. It's when you're trying to talk to about eight or nine athletes and tell them what they're about to do and explain everything and the stretches and the workout and all of a sudden you start realizing like you're adjusting the mask because it's just moving around on your face so much. And so, yeah. And then you're like, Oh, I just touched my hands to my mask, which I'm not supposed to do. What the fuck am I going to do now? And so you go sanitize your hands like five times during class. So it, uh, yeah. Uh, speaking in a mask, I would not recommend it. Uh, doing everything else in a mask. Eh, pretty, pretty okay. <laughs> Phil, don't get sick. 
<laughs> no, I I think uh, that's the last thing that I'm gonna do. To be honest with you, because uh, I I wash the last my thing you're gonna do is get sick. Yeah, I, I I wash my hands like a fucking maniac right now. So it's all good. Yeah, so my family around this time of year, we go down to the beach, and um, North Carolina was open. Maryland was in its opening phase one stages of stuff. And so we all, like, you know, pow out and we're like, so are we, like, do we want to do this? And we decided not only were we going to do it, but since the person who was coming the week before us canceled, we were going to take that week too. So I'm at the beach for two weeks now. Nice. Um, it's a big house uh, shared with my sister and her family and my mother and father and my brother and me and my daughter. And, um, yeah, uh, it's a private beach-ish. There's, like, public access, like, a quarter mile down, but the public doesn't really come towards us. So we're, we're pretty, we're still pretty isolated, which is nice. And, um, yeah, in general, I don't know, like, we, we only leave the house to go to the grocery store, which we'd probably have to do at home anyway, so we're doing good. Um, I will say that a lot of people this further down south don't seem to like to wear masks, which is a little mm. disconcerting, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm currently looking out. There is someone walking a dog on the beach. What, mask or no mask? I don't know. I can't see... They're not wearing a mask. Um, <laughs> is the dog wearing a mask? No. The dog does look like it has been recently shaved, though. Oh, cool. Because it's got very short fur, but a super fluffy tail. <laughs> I feel like when okay. you're out in the open air, the, the, the mask thing is not, not needed. as not necessary. Needed. No, in fact, like when I, when I leave the grocery store up in Maryland, because I have a beard and it's warm... I take my mask off once I'm, like, in the parking lot moving towards my car. Yep. And people yep. will, like, give me a look. And I'm like, Jesus, calm the fuck down. I'm not going to cough on your car. <laughs> it's actually yeah. really, I, I hate to be this person, but it's really hard to catch outdoors. You have to be, like, in the, you have to, like, cross paths with the person as they're breathing heavily on you. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it doesn't really register no, outside. I'm in Arlington Heights, which is a suburb of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And our city is talking about closing all the streets downtown so all the restaurants can put tables in the middle of the road so people can eat outside oh. yeah. and turn it into a walking mall. That's going to be the first thing that happens here. So. Instagram's going to explode when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so many people yeah. being like, whoa, eating on a road. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. That's an interesting one. It's not a bad idea, although it's kind of a major artery. We'll see how it works out. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the restaurants are down. We've been only doing like delivery and carry out from like local places, trying to help keep them in business and stuff. Same. Yeah. And um, I think they're doing pretty well, but I, I know they are, I know some owners of businesses in downtown Arlington Heights, and they just need to do something. Like, they'll put a table on the sidewalk or in a parking spot in front of their building. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they'll serve one table at a time if it means a little more income. You know? Yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah. No, we're getting to that point. I don't know. I just, I, I keep saying, like, you know, I'm in favor of opening up if, if people are going to be smart about it. Right. But my issue is that I feel like a lot of people aren't going to be smart yeah. about it. I agree with that. Yeah. So, yeah I, I, yeah, I guess I'm in the same boat. I understand. I mean, a lot of these videos of people losing their minds are because they and everyone they know lost their jobs. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I feel absolutely. like there's a lot of like shaming of people who won't wear masks on Twitter. And those people are having nervous breakdowns. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. There's a certain sense of 
we have to have a little bit of I, I can't believe I'm saying this as 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 <laughs> diehard liberal as I am, but we have to have a little sympathy for these people who are freaking out. Like most of the people at these open America rallies, everyone they know has lost their jobs. So they're just in like pure panic mode. They don't know how to pay rent or anything. So I wish there was a little bit of sympathy for that. Of course, it would help if we had a leader who engendered sympathy for anybody. I mean, that's but, that's another big problem is just yeah. that, I mean, not to get too political on the pod, which I know right. some people probably hate, but like, even as the resident <laughs> vaguely conservative host of this podcast, like, if only we had an even an iota of seemingly competent leadership up at right. the top, because people like, then, no one knows what anything is for. Like, people well, are like, oh, we went into quarantine is... so that no one would get sick. And it's like, no, we flattened the curves so we wouldn't overload the hospitals. Like, do we just, but we, there's oh. never been any, any messaging, any kind of, like, consistent, thoughtful sure. response. It's just a flipping nightmare. And because we're in a society that's lost all nuance or understanding and divided into party lines. You're either, like, as they've said on CNN a few times, sorry, listeners, CNN, uh, they, the Republicans are trying to paint the Democrats as anti-reopening. No one is anti-reopening. No one on earth is anti-reopening. Yeah. Yeah. It's about how you do it and how you gradate it and how you judge it. But, of course, that sense of nuance is just dead. You're right. And like, then everyone who's like, oh, like Republicans want to, like, feed old people into a wood right. chipper to restart it's the economy. And it's like, that's not true either. <laughs> like, can we can we all just, like, find the middle ground that we no. also clearly want? No. Twitter killed the middle ground forever. Twitter destroyed the middle ground. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's a pretty is a pretty clear dividing line, right? It's it's are you wearing a mask or are you not? So. <laughs> uh, yeah, mostly, but there's more, a little more to the conversation, I think. Um, oh no, that's that's what I'm saying. Is is that's that's what people are boiling it oh, down. Right. The, the mask has become the anti MAGA hat. So like you know, yeah. it used to be like, are you wearing a red hat? Now it's like, are you no. not wearing a mask? <laughs> right. Somehow, wearing a mask is destroying all their freedoms. It's just, but that's because they buy. And again, I hate to get too political. They're buying bullshit they've been fed on in bad news form. So. Yes. Um, so if you would like to live vicariously through me, um, go to my Instagram at Brian J. Rowan, where I'll be posting photos of my family at the beach. I will do that later. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll social distance and cough into my phone. One of the okay, so this is the this is the stupidest <laughs> thing. But I, and there was a point when I realized that I was shooting because I use a real camera, and I realized that I was shooting ultra wide like with a 16 millimeter lens because I didn't want people on Facebook or something to bitch at me. And so I wanted them to have a wide field of view so they could see that we weren't around anyone else. <laughs> like I was specifically framing photos of my daughters so that looked like she was the only human being on earth <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't want to get dragged on social media. That's great. That's yeah, good. That's exactly what we want. Um, so let's, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about this. <laughs> movie california split a movie that immediately i don't know if anyone else has felt this um recently but like you'll watch a tv show and you'll see two people like shake hands or like stand in a crowded subway and you're like ooh, too close and california split just immediately opens with like oh god i can only imagine everything (laughs) all the sense (laughs) the sounds of those people um here's another fun thing i could not find a trailer for this movie Yes, I so, know. <laughs> so we will not be having the usual trailer thing that I do. Um, so just, uh, we're in it. This is the review now. We're going to be talking about California Split. 
from director Robert Altman. Um, IMDb summarizes it thus, When a casual gambler befriends a professional one, he begins to mirror his life, sending both deeper into the sleazy gambling world where the stakes keep getting bigger. <laughs> um, this movie again stars Elliot Gould and George Seagal. 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 Um, who I was watching and I was like, why does this guy look so familiar? And I just have never seen this man young. Oh, mm-hmm. really? <laughs> no, Wait, which Seagull, right? Seagull, yeah, I've seen Elliot Gould. But I, I was like, who is that? Why does he look so familiar? And then I was like, oh my god. I suddenly recognize him. He's Jack from Just Shoot Me. Which was unfortunately... <laughs> Shut up, Michael. I thought you might what go a pull. <laughs> I thought you might go Goldberg, so I was waiting to see which sitcom it was going to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, he's also apparently Albert Solomon from the Goldbergs. And he's Murray Berenson in Entourage. Anyway, this is a guy who's been around a lot. And I was just like looking at him. I was like, that cat's weird. He kind of looks like, I don't know, like a, like a, a young, uh, I can't put my finger on it. And then I finally looked it up and I was like, oh shit, it's that guy. <laughs> <sighs> so yes, uh, George Siegel plays William Bill Denny and Elliot Gould plays Charlie Waters. Um, let's talk about this movie. Uh, how was this movie selected, Michael? Well, so this is kind of a, a weird thing because California Split is it, – it's not that it's unavailable, but it hasn't really been remastered in, in a while. It, it wasn't really available on any streaming service. You can rent it on uh, iTunes um, and a couple platforms along those lines where you specifically have to spend money in, on subscription services. But – uh, it, it's it's just kind of a weird thing, as you said, Brian. It's one of those without a trailer, so it, it hasn't been remastered. It hasn't uh, had those experiences, and it, it it's kind of come back recently. Uh, in, in part, people say it's one of Altman's great films, or greatest films, I should say. I, th- I believe it comes. I don't have it in front of me. I believe it was right after Nashville. Before. Um, before. Oh, before. Thank you. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of right in that period of after uh, McCabe before Nashville. Yes, yeah, like where he was, you know, you could say he was. Uh, oh God, I can't remember my poker term for. <laughs> I almost said on tilt. It's definitely not on tilt. <laughs> Isn't that a pinball uh, term? <laughs> no, that's used in poker. If you're really, uh, maybe I'm the poker player in the room, but when you're if you're really doing poorly, you just start pushing all in and betting horribly. Then you're on tilt. Okay, oh, okay. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I went the opposite of until, but I, anyways, uh, yeah. So Prime now has it, has it streaming, but it's kind of a might not be remastered, but it's a cut that hasn't previously been available a lot of places. Uh, Jason Bailey actually did a little bit of reporting on this for the playlist, and that's definitely worth checking in. But uh, again, in terms of it uh, coming up recently, it's been talked about a lot in relation to. Uh, the Safties uncut gems, uh, and it's specifically uh, as considered one of the greatest films about gambling. Um, okay. Which is Can I add uh, a little bit. Just a, oh yes, please, here, Brian. Which is that the reason it wasn't available and the reason this cut is different is music rights. Like the, they couldn't get the music rights to believe it or not, the music in this film, which is not particularly memorable, but I guess was expensive enough that it wasn't on VHS. <laughs> when like the Altman Renaissance came around 
when people mm-hmm. started watching MASH and Nashville and all these other films, you literally couldn't get California Split anywhere at that time. And that's why this cut is different because Amazon Prime in their classic way with no <laughs> notification or press release or anything, just dropped the cut of an Altman film that no one's seen in like 46 years. So that's kind of the big deal behind it. Huh. Interesting. So th- th- this recently came up. Uh, my my fiance was telling me about uh, I think it's Seventh Heaven. Uh, <laughs> when it first came to streaming, it didn't have the like famous Seventh Heaven oh. like theme song, and that's because they couldn't negotiate the rights with the original uh, writers of that song for. Uh, even like DVDs. And so wow, when know. it came to streaming, they were really fucked. And so, yeah, that's uh, it, like this. This definitely happens. It happened with uh, Daria. Daria. Daria is a big one. I believe as well is, is a problem there. Yeah. Um, Beavis and Butthead has oh, a similar yeah, problem sure, to Daria with, with rights. Keep, I think Michael Mann's The Keep is held back because of Tangerine Dream music issues. Huh. And so what 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 happens is basically these uh, these recording artists or these movie studios, whoever they are, the studios basically are like they they're not future seeing, right? They don't know what right. streaming's going to be when they sign these contracts, and so they're just like, eh, we'll just hold it for right. the movie, right? right? And that's that's where all the money is, and so then all of a sudden VHS, uh, DVD, you know, all this stuff starts to boom, and they're like, oh. Oh, oh, we made a mistake. Right. Just like, eh, all right. <laughs> so, and then yeah. Amazon Prime just drops it and nobody knows about it. <laughs> Jason Bailey has to do reporting. This is the world we're in now. It's like, oh, look, a classic Almond movie that no one's seen forever, but you just have to like stumble upon it. So this yeah. this is a this this makes me wonder, and this is way be way way inside baseball. But I saw someone on Twitter saying like. You know, three years of like covering the streaming game has taught me one thing: Amazon Prime has no marketing department for no. Prime Video. <laughs> no, as someone who manages streaming guides for services, Amazon Prime has a revolving door of content. California Split may be gone by the time people listen to this <laughs> because it is just like a constant moving wave of things coming in and out with no rhyme or reason. I don't get any press releases. Like I don't. I just have to go in and audit all my lists every month That's I go in and like check to make sure things are still there. And so I do for vulture, the hundred best movies on Amazon. I would say an average turnaround every month is about 20 to 25. Just gone. God. And then I, Jesus. Yeah. cause Netflix so makes a big fucking deal out of it. They're like, this is what's leaving. Like very easy to yeah, find. Like but, this is what's coming. What? That's a smoke screen because they do the same thing. So they'll send an email that's like, hey, these 20 movies are gone. I'll do a thing. And then it's like, oh, and these other 10 movies that we didn't bother to put in the press release. So, yep. it's just like, it's just, so I have to audit that one the same way, although the turnover there is not as much as Amazon. Amazon is nuts. They'll just add random things and have something on there for a week and delete it. Like, I don't know what's happening over there. I think everyone over there is just bored, and they're just moving, around, <laughs> moving pieces around the game board. And it's yeah, it, it's one of those things. Just... Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. Well, like with their app, like it's it's almost impossible to tell what's there and what's not. No, I like, know. You scroll through and it's like, okay, is this? Do I have to pay for this one? I guess right. I won't know until yeah. I click on it. No. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the little Prime check mark. That's what you right. got to look for. Included but yeah, with Prime. I, 
I, I I can't I can't tell you how many times I've I've used like Just Watch or, sure. or some of these other services where you you look at it and you're like, oh, it's on that, and then it's like, it's on Stars via Amazon. Right. It's like that doesn't oh, yeah. fucking mean anything to <clears throat> no, me. Like no. like what I don't want to know that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like fuck you. That means it's on Stars, you asshole. No, it's a weird. I hate to get conspiracy theory on no, this, you're fine. but they all have horrible interfaces. Like all of them do. <laughs> Yes. So maybe there must be some logic to it. Like they keep you in the quicksand moving through the service and you're in there longer because let's be honest, Netflix and Hulu's aren't any better. Like their interfaces no. are garbage. You like Netflix will add yeah. things and you have Hulu. no idea it's there. Hulu. The main reason I do these lists or that people care about them is because it informs people that those movies are on those services. And because once again, this, this is why we love movie, which carefully yes, curates exactly. 30 films at a time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know when they're leaving. I love the plug. The plug is great. I, I, I want to say even even to speak specifically of California Split. So I, I knew this was on Prime, and so I was going to put the link up. And I realized that when you just search California Split on uh, the, the website, this was not on the app, um, that the California Split you have to rent comes up instead. So mm. you have to actually – Look through and find another California split that's prime with an entirely different cover. And, uh, do, they have the, do they have different run times? Because I no. wonder if the other one is three minutes different. It's uh, one. They're both one forty-eight. <laughs> uh, wait. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah oh, so it's. I, I mean, yeah. I know we could talk about the uh, the politics of all of oh. these streamings. It, it, the fact that there's recently added a new releases just. Destroys and <laughs> your brain just explodes. <laughs> well, remember, so th- again, like this is a deep uh, lore for the film stage show. But I recorded myself trying to find Velvet Buzzsaw on Netflix. Sure. <laughs> and how long it took? And I had Probably to write. The day it came out, right? I, yeah, I had out. to write Velvet B. <laughs> and I was like, "This is incredible!" And it started with me going. Oh, recently added. It's probably here, right? And just scrolling for like mm-hmm. twenty deep, and I was like, "Okay, I'm giving up. I got to go to search." Yeah, oh. like I said, these streaming guides I do. I don't think it's necessarily for my like expert curation as much as it is information. Like, hey, these movies are on Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu because God knows the services themselves don't do anything to advertise their content. No, it's well, like. I- I used to go shopping for DVDs and Blu-rays at um, pawn shops and thrift stores. And, you know, yeah. you couldn't go up to the guy up front and be like, hey, do you have a, like, memento? You know, because right. then he'd probably try to shoot you. So you just had to go into the dusty corner and start rifling through. And, like, that's, that, <laughs> that is a more tactile version of what we're dealing with now with streaming. <laughs> Which is just yeah. like, I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to flip through and I'm going to hope that I find something good. But I've been doing this long enough that I now think there must be some logic to it. Like there must be a business reason because I think, like you said, you you hung around in the thrift shop and you bought more stuff because you were there longer. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like people just stay in the quicksand of streaming services trying to find what they're looking for, except that movie, which is just curated. Like well, I mean, yeah, that's it's it's the Target, it's the Walmart, it's it's any right. of those theories, right? It's it's Home Depot, it's Lowe's. Uh, it, the longer they can keep you in the store, the more likely you are to right. spend extraneous money just on shit that you're like, oh, you know what? I need this, and you right. go 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 get that, and on the way you go pick up five more things. So 
Yeah. And yeah, uh, but what's Netflix weird is that I'm not, not buying stuff while I'm hunting for something to watch on sure. Netflix, you know? Not yeah, but Netflix. you're not on the other services, and maybe you'll cancel the other services. <laughs> hey, I spend all my time on Amazon looking for California Split, so I don't need Hulu anymore. True. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, no, I'm... <laughs> we should talk about California Split <laughs> right after Michael says something. No, I'm just now. I'm like, I'm thinking about the possibility if Netflix like rebranded itself as a conscious thrift store <laughs> or yeah. something like that, <laughs> and, and it just was. It was just honest about like. Oh no! This isn't genre. This is just this is just a random smattering of things. But we it know is. it's a random smattering yeah. of things. Ever <laughs> since honest. they went, ever since they went to the thumbs up, thumbs down, it has been worse with its recommendations too. Like I used to legitimately be able to find good stuff because, like, I would I I had like done star ratings on everything I watched, mm-hmm. and now it's simplified its algorithm, and it's like I don't know. You watched Paw Patrol. You'd love. Princess True and Bartleby, right? And I'm like, okay, that's my daughter. <laughs> my least favorite thing. First off, get your daughter her own profile, or at least her kid's profile. Oh, she does have second, one now, yes. <laughs> second off, my least favorite thing ever lately is Netflix emailing me when I'm half done watching something. Hey, you didn't finish Tiger King. You want to come back and finish Tiger King? No. <laughs> too busy. Leave me alone. They, um, they, so, they, they, I love their, their app constantly is like, Hey, you know, you're probably going to love this. And I just always yeah. delete them. And then, because I never really watch stuff on my phone, but I opened it up the other day so I could watch, like, I think Parks and Recreation while I was cooking. And it was like, you have 56 missing recommendations. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn. I feel bad about that. I mean, I know the system isn't smart enough to understand this, but I love when they'll email me about something I gave a negative review to already. Hey, you might like the new Happy Madison movie. Nope. I feel like sending back my review. <laughs> no, actually, I already watched that, and it's horrible. I'm actually a, tomato, a Rotten Tomatoes aggregated critic, so if you could just pull my scores right. and please start giving me content recommendations from there. Right. So let's talk about California Split. Uh <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of uh, this uh, lost treasure of the 1970s cinema? Are you talking to me? Sorry, yes. I didn't hear. There was too much laughter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it was a really strange black hole in my viewing history, given I was a huge Altman fan and seen most of the major 70s movies and have had seen most of the major like gambling movies, the movies this inspired, I feel like I've seen. Um like, I have a different appreciation for Mississippi Grind now that I've seen this movie, uh, the Ben Mendelsohn movie from a few years ago. So I've seen, like, the movies that came from this, but I had never seen this one in particular. Uh, and I'm kind of happy I saw it now. Like, I went through an Altman phase when I was a late teenager, early 20-something, and I think I have a different appreciation for it now than I in my mid-40s than I would have then. Um, and I'm wondering, you're all, like, in your early 30s? I'm wondering if this is an old man movie, and I'm feeling like an old man lately. Does anyone have a theory on that? I don't particularly have a theory upon that if it's an old man movie. There's a certain melancholy to it, a certain... But, like, the guys failed... in it feel like they should be, like, you know, mid-30s, right? Am I, like, am I totally wrong about that? Am I just reading it wrong? That's where I was pinning them. Yeah, okay. Maybe I'm just feeling sad lately. <laughs> I mean, it's this um, is a time to be sad. Like, no one's going <laughs> to look down at you for that. But there's a, especially, and I'm sure we'll get to the end, there's a, like, uh, 
failed life melancholy aspect to the end that I think I found interesting in a way now that I wouldn't have when I like devoured Altman when Player came out when I was 17. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think, I don't, I think the Brian who saw all those movies in my late teens and early 20s wouldn't have appreciated this movie at all because it's a little too shaggy and rambling, even though Altman is always like that to a mm. certain extent. It's a little more, and I think that's why the general knock against this film, and maybe some of you felt this way, was that it's a little too loose, a little too formless. Um, and I think that's why it didn't take on the esteem of some of his other works from that era. Um, but if, if the general question is, what did I think of the film? I, I mean, I liked it quite a bit, especially the end. I think the final third works amazingly. And I think both of them are phenomenal. Um, I will say I read Roger's review uh, before Roger Ebert before <laughs> watching it. And yep. uh, the phrase magnificently funny struck out to me because I didn't find it magnificently funny. Okay, thank God for you. I Because I yeah. read his review after I saw the movie and he talked about it being funny. And I was like, I don't know, Roger. No. <laughs> maybe maybe the 70s were a much different time. But I'm I didn't, sure. And like, it's not even like blackly comedic. Like I, every bit of it was just kind of very sad and melancholy, which yes. I enjoyed, you know, I would, I, I, I enjoyed this movie. Um, I don't know that I'd call it like upfront a masterpiece or anything like that, but it, it's a very good film um, anchored by two really great performances. But like, I read his review and I was like, oh man, is this, did I watch the movie wrong? Like, did I, <laughs> did I completely read this whole thing wrong again? Like, this is bad, but I'm glad well, you heard it. Yeah. There's like a looseness to Gould's performance that I think maybe, played a little differently especially when he was like on top of the world i mean this mm -hmm. is after mash and long goodbye so like it's the kind of thing where just seeing him in that role might have been funnier to roger than it is to us now yeah my guess uh -huh. uh, but the phrase magnificently funny is never one i would use to apply to this movie i mean i found it remarkably sad almost throughout um anybody theories on funny or sad uh let's ask michael Snydell. <laughs> Uh, as far as funny or sad, I lean more towards sad. But I, I think that this is this is a, a is a movie I really liked, and it, it falls into uh, I guess what I'd say, uh, it, which is something that people always say about Altman. It, it's the word texture. It, it's the sure. sense that every one of these scenes, every person in it, I feel like would exist. If, you know, if Charlie and uh, sorry, if uh, Charlie and Bill weren't there, those people would still be having their own existence and their life. And and I kind of love that people go in and out. Uh, and I, I think that says so much about these characters. And particularly, I love how, uh, you know, you have Gould, who's just he's he's a maniac. Like he he does have, you know, some of the beach bum you know, like, you know, smoked out qualities of his long goodbye character, but he's, he's more consciously scummy. He, he knows right. he's, you know, he knows he's a little bit of a degenerate and that's fine. <laughs> like he's looking for that next score, but not in the same way as, as Bill, which I really liked. Like this very much does almost become it, it very clearly becomes an addiction movie in, in that last third uh, in a way that like is like definitely sad. Like th there is a certain um, I, I couldn't help but to but uh, 
grasp onto a few different phrases and and one is in that final high rollers game he he says something jokingly like i love doing business with people who like to do business <laughs> which like strikes me as a lot of what this movie is honest about in a way that a lot of gambling films try to do in a in a very explicit way let like you think of a lot of these con games and they have to bring, you know, violence into it or something, or they have to bring some sense of stakes that threaten them that aren't about, you know, their gambling high, like uncut gems uh, might be closer to that, but obviously, you know, that, that the stakes continue to raise in a way that's a lot more, uh, you know, dangerous than something like California split like even the stuff with spark his his bookie like you think it's gonna get to a, you know he he's even on crutches at a certain point which makes you think he you know got his legs broken or something and it, it it's never really interested in going there so yeah it's it's the texture ultimately that gets to me and I I I did find a lot of these scenes really charming but yeah it is ultimately the sadness like one of the scenes that has nothing to do with gambling that really got to me was uh barbara and susan um right after bill leaves when uh susan and, and bill are uh about to have sex and uh barbara and susan are, or barbara's holding susan as she's starting to cry and they're talking about uh the guy she's gonna meet tomorrow and it's it's very much the same philosophy as Bill and Charlie, but it's not applied to gambling. But it's still that certain, you know, you, instead of living hand to mouth, you're living hand to hand. Yeah, I mean, there's also a certain sense. It's interesting that he ends the film allowing him to win. There's a connection there to Uncut Gems. I didn't even realize sure. until the second time watching Uncut Gems that he wins every single bet he makes, <laughs> that, which was, is amazing watching That Uncut was the Gems. funniest part of that movie is that every yes. time he plays – and he, he, the movie would have been over in 15 minutes if his brother-in-law bookie hadn't canceled his bet. <laughs> yep. yep. And then at the end he wins too. And this is, feels sure. similarly inspired in the sense that you can win and still be a loser. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can Absolutely. win and still be so deep into it that it doesn't matter anymore. Um, I think that's part of the ending. I find the ending fascinating. I think there's a lot of it and maybe we'll get there more later. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting ways to read the last 15 minutes and the very ending in particular, but both this and uncut gems have that at a certain point, it doesn't matter if you win or lose anymore. Like you're so deep into it that, I mean, uncut gems is certainly more. I think I said to someone, he's spiraling the drain so fast. It doesn't matter. If he wins. <laughs> that's uncut gems. Sure. Like this one isn't quite as dark, but it feels like maybe this one inspired the other. Um, yeah. But not magnificently funny. You know, like <laughs> Still not quite on board with it being magnificently funny now. No, I, I mean, agree. no one loves Roger more than me, but I read that and I was like, huh. You don't <laughs> really like, see that. Especially with these classic reviews. I'm constantly like, look. I'm gonna I'm gonna read what Roger said. You know, I gotta I yeah. gotta see what my, my boy Roger thought about this. And usually I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it. And this time I saw it and I was like, God damn it, did I fall asleep in the middle of this movie? Like, did I <laughs> did I vacation brain this movie? Yeah, like, but but let's be fair to the side I work at. He also does mention that like he 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 does mention the melancholy, how you come out feeling a little like you saw something real. I think he says, oh, you yeah. saw something genuine. He talks um, that, specifically about the uh, the scene where they're they're so drunk 
that they're at the bar and they're just trying to come up with ways to bet each yep. other things. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they, he, he even like two days later is still stuck on what the name of the seven dwarves were. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> I think at one point he comes up with Dumbo and yeah. he's like, no, not Dumbo. Come on, man. That was kind of funny. Not magnificently, but kind of. <laughs> I love everything at the boxing match too. That the yes. fact that like th- they're walking out and everybody's booing, and then they're betting on a fight. <laughs> it's like you know a row away from them. Like it's it, it's so it's so manic and like you know it, Siegel's such a good like straight man to yeah. gold. And and it was it, it was interesting because it, it's just on uh, it was just on a, a wiki page, but apparently Siegel was just kind of terrified of Gould because he just lived this life. Yeah. Like I almost got the sense that like oh he just left the set for Mexico for a couple of days and they're just like well we gotta keep filming I guess. yeah I buy it I, I believe it <laughs> and it is it, I I wanna I wanna latch on to a couple of things that have been said wait um, Bill Bill didn't go yet yeah oh yeah Bill what are your just general thoughts on this movie <laughs> um I'll be honest uh. I, I struggled to finish it. Um, I I didn't really enjoy this. Um, I think part of it, it, it comes with the fact that I was not expecting this to feel as mumblecore as it is. Um, it feels very loose and it feels very put together in the edit, put together after. Um, and I, I just wasn't expecting this in this time period and stuff of that nature. Um, that being said, the performances are just across the board. Excellent. Um, my, my boy, Jeff Goldblum, uh, makes a five yes. second appearance for some reason. 20. Um, he was 21. He popped in there and I was like, is that Jeff motherfucking Goldblum? It's, it's his second credited work on IMDb. I just checked that out. So he did death wish as like, a, a an evil villain, and then he did this and just like, you're making it big time, buddy. You're making it big time. Bill, <laughs> can I ask where you fall on Altman generally? So I've not seen very many Altman films and, you know, reading up on it, I, uh, I know I've seen McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which is funny because this one is actually compared to that in, in kind of its, uh, loose tone and sure. the way that they kind of have a, a script or maybe don't have a script and stuff of that nature. So, um, yeah, those are basically my two, uh, these are my two experiences with Altman so far. Um, I clearly need to check out Nashville and some of these other films, um, the long, the are... long, the long goodbye, not, not, uh, not excluded from that list as well. So you never saw any of the comeback movies either, like player or shortcuts or Gosford park. Or nope. any of those. Okay. Yep. I, uh, I, I don't call myself someone that is uninterested in, in watching older films. It just takes me a little bit longer, but I mean, you know, as my podcast mates can attest to, if you give me an older film to watch, I'll fucking watch it. <laughs> like I, as, and especially if it's under two hours and this is 108 minutes. So boom, done. <laughs> that thing of overlapping dialogue and improvisation and what, what Michael called texture and you called mumblecore. That's, 
kind of the Altman brand to a certain extent. I kind of, my brain is thrown by the idea that Altman is the forebearer or the godfather of Mumblecore. I got to wrap my head around. <laughs> yeah, that. I'd never really thought about uh, that, but the second that Bill said it, I was true. like, oh crap. Yeah. There's some yeah. similarities. Yeah, <laughs> it could be kind of true. I'm gonna go with it for a little bit, but um. I mean, certainly as someone who loves Altman, this is not top 10 Altman. So don't use this as a template. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would yeah. go back and watch a Nashville and Three Women is one of my personal favorite films of all time. Uh, and just do Pirate Shortcuts, which is a 90s double feature that'll blow your mind. So uh, yeah, there you go. There's my little Altman soapbox for a second. Are, are, are any of those streaming? <laughs> who knows? Um, <laughs> long Goodbye, I believe. It might be on prime criterion channel and they, i believe they still are um other than that i don't know check my guides i'll go <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I will say the one that hasn't held up for me is mash i, I yeah. rewatched that a few years ago and yeah. you know i i that has definitely got kind of uh a a, a revitalized I, not a revisit that I'm looking for. It, it, it's been kind of reevaluated in a more negative way. I, I, I hate I'd to be say. that guy, but I was never a big match fan. Uh, well, I, like, I mean, uh, it isn't, I like his that... dreamier, more like the player and three women, even shortcuts have kind of this where the improvisational texture aspect gets almost a dreamy air to it. Like um, where he, where he, he combines his sense of, his cinematic nature with his human nature for lack of a better way to put it uh which i think this movie does at the end i think the last 15 minutes of this movie take on a greater purpose or meaning than the texture first hour and a half um where it gets kind of dreamlike and silly they get to reno so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well yeah i want to get definitely more into the last 15 minutes but i i feel like we should talk about some other stuff um well just for first. me i i want to say that like i'm i'm a little bit with bill like as far as like i watch a lot of older movies but as far as people who i've never felt the need to like delve into their filmography i've never felt that draw towards altman huh. i just there's something about him and and his work that i'm just like that's not essential to me like that doesn't that's for, which i know is probably someone out there just loaded Damn a you, gun Brian. with a bullet that has my name carved in it and and the the pull of the long goodbye that's that's got to be but right see, up I, don't, I, I i mean as much as i, I love noir i feel like i the, the first thing i heard about uh gould's marlowe and the long goodbye was that it was like a deconstruction and i don't want that mm-hmm. so yeah no you're you're very pro uh, give me what I want, uh, or give me what I order, as as you always do. <laughs> you you want your burger to be a burger and not not be yeah yeah yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Did you say you were 33? <laughs> yes, I am. So Altman was done by the time you were 20. Prairie <laughs> Companion, I think, is 2006. So that may be part of it. Like people, right, like, I, other acknowledged classics like Scorsese and stuff like that are still working. Whereas, they're still working, and Altman I think is, that. Like Scorsese, you look at some of his older work and it's like when you are young and first beginning to say, like, I want to watch movies that challenge me, you know, like I'm 13. I want to find like the R rated movie that I've heard people whisper about. And then you look for Taxi Driver just because you're looking for like uh, to, to, to put it in ways that a 13 year old would like tits and violence. And then instead you see something that's like 
so meaningful, but also so bleak and helps you to like wrestle with things. And then I just yeah, don't yeah, yeah. feel it's like I ever... more than Nashville. Yeah, sure. exactly. Uh, but Nashville is also super crazy accessible. So like yes. I would advise like most people to start there um, because it's a good template for what he does and how he does it. Exactly. So like it's it's one of those things where and I, I never dislike any of the movies that I see. I just it's never been I've never liked any so much that I felt the need to like go on and like look for more. Uh-huh. Which is uh which is weird. I know. It's a very strange way to be about about no, no, everybody's got their own thing. Uh yeah. and he can be a little hard to read. I mean, Three Women is a hard film to decipher, and I wouldn't say that that's a gateway for anything. But I would also say that like Nashville and the player are as accessible as anything on the planet. So I would suggest people interested in Altman start probably with those two. And I would yeah. say that this this movie's not like a bad entree into into his work. No. I mean, like I enjoyed it. Well, it's a I little thought... shaggy and formless for a while, and I think that was the main knock against it, and maybe what Bill didn't like that it's kind of for lack of a better word, mumblecore in the sense that it's not really going anywhere. It doesn't seem to have drive. For mm-hmm. a while. Right. Well, and, I mean, and there's, there's there's a there's a scene in the middle of the film where uh, Bill shows up to to the house where all, all all three of his friends are basically living, and is like, "Hey, is Charlie home?" And they're like, "No." And he's like, "Oh, okay." Cool. I'll see y'all later. <laughs> and it's just like, what the fuck is this scene? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> You know, like in most in 99 percent of the films, the editor would be like, get the fuck out of here. Like, what, what are you doing? You're making my film two minutes longer. Why does it need See, to be this? You know, uh, I love the that shaggy dog aspect of it is intentional. Mm-hmm. Like there's supposed yeah. to be a lackadaisical in, the melancholy increases when you realize these people have nothing else to do or live for <laughs> except maybe each other and gambling. Yeah. And the each other aspect is interesting. Uh, I've read, a, I, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole that suggested this is a homosexual relationship film, mm-hmm. that they have a partnership that transcends gambling, which I find kind of an interesting read, um, that they love each other more than simply as friends. And then they break up in the final scene because they were apart when they when Bill reached his glory, for lack of a better way to put it. That's an interesting reading of the film. But to go back a step, the idea that, those those scenes to me are adding what Michael said is texture, just kind of this lackadaisical life where nothing matters. And not, the movie only comes to life when they're gambling, whether they're gambling over seven dwarves names or the, the mugger gambling that they won't die when they only offer him half the money. Scenes like that. Uh, and so the other stuff is kind of just to offset that. Maybe the boring scene you think should have been cut offsets the peaks. I'm not sure. I'm just thinking out loud. But I, 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 I mean, that, that that's a classic like radio kind of thing where like you can't play, you know, 99 percent hits because otherwise right. people will just turn it off. They don't they want filler. Right. right. They they need that kind of low. So, yeah. And what, what were you going to say, Brian? I feel like we kind of cut you off mid mid thought. Literally can't remember. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> so there, well, there's a there's a few things. The The first is that. I'm still obsessed with the idea of, of Altman being mumblecore criticism. Yeah. No. <laughs> because I feel like that actually partially um, informs like, why I've never been super like ch- champing at the bit to go see more of his work. Is because it is... I'm a guy... Michael knows this. I'm a guy who likes structure. <laughs> I like pin-sharp narratives. I like my movies neat. I like them clever. 
Um, That's why you should see the player. I think you'd actually oh, really yeah. like the player. Right. right. I think that the player is is one of the ones that I I really like. Um, but so that was one of them. I also I I I always find the the concept of like um, the like homoerotic underpinnings of like male on screen friendships to be like the least compelling read of them. Yeah. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not sure I agree with it. Just throwing it out there as an idea. There's definitely there were definitely moments where you could like feel that in this movie, but I f- I feel like taking it from like kind of like almost a flirtation into like they actually have feelings for each other makes it less interesting. Um, and I, I, it's actually a way that I feel about um, not just like same sex relationships, but a lot of a lot of actual friendships. Like I was one of the few people on earth who never wanted Mulder and Scully to hook up on the X-Files. Because <laughs> I find the maintaining of, like, a, a close platonic friendship to be so much more compelling because mm-hmm. it involves so much more investment and, like, nuance than, like, just saying, like, these two people want to bang. Yeah, I agree. I think it's yeah. kind of a thin reading of this film. I think it's to kind of, ex- like... To say they need each other then has to become a homoerotic reading. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You can say they yeah, need yeah. each other and not have that reading of it. Yeah. Um, but but I do think there's something unspoken maybe between the two of them, whether that's typical male friendship that can't be spoken or something if you want to go deeper. I just went down a rabbit hole of those pieces the other day, and so I thought I'd throw that on the table. Um, I th- I think what I really like to about uh, Bill to speak to the scene that you were were saying why is that in there is I really like that this doesn't I mean you even go back to the log line and it's about a casual and a professional gambler right and that's not that's very quickly it resists like an archetype of you know him teaching him like you get no montage of counting cards or like you know. It, you do get that great scene right towards the end where he literally reads every person at the table. And like, uh, by the way, the script by Joseph Walsh in this, which is the only film he ever wrote is, is like fantastic. Like it it is such a sharp, like uh, well observed script, but that's not what I want to talk about. I just wanted to give a compliment (laughs) to that. But I guess what I'll say about that, the particular scene you, you pointed out uh, Bill is like that, gets across so much about the great sense of of conflict to me between Bill and Charlie and the type of people they are. Like Bill has, you know, he is getting into this gambling lifestyle, but he doesn't, he doesn't live it to say like to the point where, you know, he is coming around Charlie trying to, you know, find his, what's what he believes is his lucky charm. But like, when he goes around and sees that these two women are there, he's just also realizing that these people are just living his life while it's consuming him. I feel like you especially see that, especially when Gould comes back from Mexico and you see how agitated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angry. Agitated. No, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's anger. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. He's, yeah, he's in, infuriated and, you know, he's talking about how much money they're going to take to Reno and, you know, like Charles is, or, uh, yeah, sorry. Charlie is in it. Like, no, let's go to Vegas. That's more fun. Like, <laughs> like there's, there's no sense of, of real, like not only in in relation to the rhythms, but there's there's a totally different 
pace to both of these people's lives. Um, Well, we see Bill at work, too. Like, Bill has a job. (laughs) Exactly. I don't know how he keeps it, but he does have a job. (laughs) But I think that's an intentional big difference between the two of them. Like, we see Bill with his bookie and at his job trying to maintain some sort of normalcy. And I think that's the reading of him being the casual gambler. He's not just traveling to Mexico and getting his nose broken and doing whatever. (laughs) Um, But so I think it's intentional by Walsh and Altman to delineate between the two of them. They don't, you're right. They don't just become the same person. They're very distinctly different people, which I also think then feeds into the ending, which them being distinctly different people. Or I love how he puts a dollar into the pot <laughs> with a pickup basketball game. Like, like it's just, and you already mentioned the broken nose. Like right. he gets the broken nose, but he gets the last laugh. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's such a, uh, it's so weird how it's never any skin off his back. But I, I mean, I, I guess we could speak to this, you know, like it is, it is very different at, at the end is like, Gould just wants action any action it doesn't matter what it is he'll take you know nickels on slots (laughs) well sure it's 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 so funny because he keeps going to at first he goes to the cashier and he's like what is it what does it take to to get some credit on y'all and he's like well you have to have cash (laughs) and he's like can't do that got any (laughs) other ways it's like no (laughs) like i'm not just gonna extend you a credit line yeah and and Everywhere he goes, he keeps asking for for a credit line for more money. And it's just like he didn't he didn't come there with like but a few dollars to his name besides the money that he puts up in in conjunction for for the poker game. And it's just like, wow. (laughs) I think my favorite shot in the movie is the very final one over the credits, in a sense, because even after all this has happened, he still spins the wheel. We watch yeah. the wheel spin over the credits because, as you said, as we've all been saying here, it's always just the, the wheel keeps going. He like no matter even though his friendship may be done and everything looks a little sad and melancholy. The last shot is him spinning that wheel, which is what he's mm-hmm. just going to keep on doing. And it's so. marvelously funny. Yeah. Yeah. Magnificent. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's, I mean that, that's that's exactly what he keeps talking about at the end is he wants to get together with Bill and and go clean up, go shower, go get some ladies and yep. then hit the strips, you know, <laughs> and it's just like, wow, like seriously, like take that money and just go live a life for a little bit and then and then maybe try again, you know, but no, he's just like, nah, nah, I just want to spend it <laughs> for him. The action I, I, is the juice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And, yeah, and I, so so what do we take from Bill not getting that same high when he wins? How do we read that? How, how that, do we read the ending of the film? Let's just get to it. Like is Well, I is, think I think I think Bill's Bill's sense of normalcy is is shattered when Charlie comes around because it doesn't seem like he's got a gambling problem until he hooks up with Charlie because all of a sudden the the bookie gets involved and and stuff of that nature. And so I think more than anything, it's it's Bill wanting to get back a sense of normalcy because the last few weeks, I can imagine he's been waking up at different times in the middle of the night or different times in the morning and just being like, what the fuck am I going to what am I doing? You know, and, you know, with the sense of urgency. And so finally, he's got a sense of relief. I mean, so often these films, they end up where the guy is up big and continues to spend it and and, and never 
Yeah, and then loses everything, right? Yeah. Um, there, there was a movie not that long ago called Win It All. Um, yeah. And you know, it, it's just one of those things where when you when you get get up big, your natural inclination as a film watcher is to get nervous, right? Sure. And it's it's the classic kind of play, and. They like mention pit bosses too. Like you keep Mm -hmm. expecting someone's going to come around and say, come back to the back room with us. Yeah. Let's break some fingers. Yeah. And when it all was directed by Joe Swanberg. So that brings the mumblecore thing fully around. All the way back. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. No. So why is Bill sad though? Why? If he's got his money and he's got his out and he's no longer connected. Because he's going to leave his friend. Well, so, yeah, what I think is that uh, Bill is addicted to winning and uh, uh, Gould's character is addicted to playing. And Bill thought that he had found someone who he could he could be friends with and like have have a kind of life with like, you know, even starts like ingratiating himself a little bit to the women in Charlie's life. And instead, yeah. he realizes that like he will have to keep playing to stay around this guy. And I think he is sad to realize that like this friendship that he thinks he built up, this like kindred spirit, actually is is like the the well. And the he doesn't win until he pushes him away. He doesn't win until he puts him in the other room and says, "Go do your penny slot thing." So yeah. maybe that's part of it too, in the sense that he's not only finally won. But he's done it without his new BFF. And I think uh, that uh, Charlie always seems a little bit like Devil May Care, like, you know, kind of a... He doesn't, he doesn't take it seriously. Like, he is a serious no. gambler, but he doesn't take it seriously. And I think Bill needs yeah. to have a sense of, like, focus and purpose. And so when they're when they're drunk and when it's low stakes, you know, things can be like that. But when, when Bill has to worry about the fact that he's in deep to spark, right? you know, who seems like the nicest bookie on Earth. <laughs> not in 1974 that was a villain in 1974 you know um, i don't want to i don't want to make it sound too operatic but i i do have to say i was th- this is going to be uh, quite the quote for this uh, but i couldn't help but think of like he he cried because there were no more worlds to conquer sure. like, no like there is there is you know it, i think you guys are totally right that it is about you know he thought he found a kindred spirit and stuff but i think even if it's just this you know a, a rinky dink reno casino like it it still felt like what else is there to do what what's the point it's not like you know it's not the to bring it back to all of these other gambling films it's not oceans 11 there's not some greater con it's it's like he got a he got a taste for this life and he seemed to hit you know his own apex and and that's it like i, I could think, totally see I, a vision where they would never talk to each other ever again i think that's a very valid reading i think there's the reading of the film where it, he finally won and it didn't feel the way he thought it would feel like he he didn't have the high of winning 41 grand in reno like he thought he would and that look on his face at the, when he's at the table in the other room after he's just poured all the chips out there's a sense of yeah, I just did what I've been trying to do for years, my addiction, and guess what? It, I didn't get the dopamine rush I wanted, or I thought mm-hmm. I was going to get. Well, yeah, because there's I a think point. That's, that could very much be... Yeah, there's go ahead. A, to, that, to, that, uh, to that point, there, there's a moment earlier in the film when he skips his job to go to the, uh, the, the racing track. Yeah. And he says, like, I wish I were as good at getting out of, or this, as I am at getting out of my job. 
<laughs> and then at the end of the movie, he is. He's he's on a hot streak, and it's yep. it's somehow it's not as fun. It's not as good for him. And he's well, gotten out I of mean, all the trouble that he was in. But uh, well, I'm, I think someone said look, that one likes winning and one likes playing. I think at the end, those kind of get blurred a little bit, and he realized he liked playing too, mm-hmm. perhaps, and winning isn't as good as he thought it was going to be. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so the joy is gone from the winning, and he realizes that he likes to play, which to him, a man who, you know, wears a nice cable-knit sweater um, is a bad thing. <laughs> and he can't be in yeah. that situation if he wants to live. Well, I, I think I think the biggest thing we have to focus on is is how much Bill, you know, gave up to be in the position to even win at at that poker table. He had to sell his car. He had to mm-hmm. pawn off all of his, yeah, his yeah. you know, basically – you know, goods, his binoculars, his typewriter, like everything. And so he's, he's on his last dime and, you know, Charlie is just kind of floating because Charlie Charlie lives lives with, yeah, Charlie, Charlie lives with two other people. He doesn't have a vehicle. Like he just travels whenever he wants. He does whatever he wants. And I think Bill finally understands like he doesn't necessarily want that life. And he's he's going to have to realize that, like, you know, it, it's one of these classic things where I had a friend like this when I uh, graduated college who just kind of he was much younger than me and just kind of bounced around in life. And I was kind of trying to keep up with him for a while. And I started to realize, like, I could not I could not do that at all. And he he taught drums and that was his income and i worked and uh not to say that teaching drums isn't a a job but it was a lot more fluid and a lot different than you know showing up for a nine to five and and stuff like that so yeah i mean i i think bill realized that the honeymoon is basically over and that you know he's he wants to get off that train he doesn't want to be. But I think he realized that by virtue of winning. I think if they lose and keep losing, he's still roaming around and going deeper down the drain. Right, because I, I think don't... that he he has a a a quote unquote legitimate reason to keep doing it if he's still yes. in the hole. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like I can't well, stop. True. I got to win the money to get myself out of this hole, or else Sparky's going to hurt me. Sure, and we've seen a ton of addiction dramas wherein you can never feed the addiction. In other words, to win doesn't stop the pain and maybe Mm -hmm. he's realizing that at the end that winning didn't make whatever's dead inside of him go away right which is pretty much exactly what we see in uh, uncut gems yeah sure that of zandler being like this is how i win i win by like continuing to beat expectations and making bigger plays right or even like the hustler i I was thinking about this and how much it how different like i i'm trying to think of gambling films i I know that there's some i'm missing before this i I think the sting was obviously before this and Mm. you know but even again that gets into con stuff and and i'm realizing that so many like like brian i mean in you mentioning uncut gems i mean i i think as much I, what's so strange to me is that this is an addiction film. Like it's an addiction film way more than it's a gambling film, but sure. it doesn't have any of the, uh, to take my word from really like texture of the, uh, of the addiction film. Like it, it, 
for the longest time, as you're saying, it's it's just a it's a lark. Like even mm-hmm. those pawn shop scenes that we're talking about, you know, they're they still have that undercurrent of melancholy and, and everything, but they they are constantly like building a larger atmosphere. And because, I, yeah, because Altman was always way more interested in realism and heightened stakes. Like if anyone else makes this movie from this script, everything feels much more dangerous. Do you know what I mean? Like even Spark. And yeah. where they even even the mugging scene doesn't feel dangerous. Like there's no there's a sense, like you said, lark is a good word. There's a sense that these people are just drifting through, which I believe, which I think is probably more realistic. There's a lot more Bill and Charlie's out there than there are Adam Sandler's character in Uncut Gems, to be honest. Which is you know why, guys. which is unfortunately why Uncut Gems, you know, I think is a more kinetic, enjoyable well, movie because because you go to the movies and you're like. I want to see the guy I live next door to who I know has a gambling problem. I want to see the guy who has the kind of gambling problem that would make my next door neighbor have a heart attack if he thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, think there's still, value in both. Yeah. I think and, there's uh, value you know, in both. I 100% agree with that. But I, you know, if, if, if someone asked me, like, which would you prefer to watch again? Unfortunately, you know, I think my answer is I need to see Uncut Gems again. <laughs> it's on Netflix today. Is it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> I do want to to kind of shift a little bit. I, I I do find it really interesting, and they they explicitly mention it that everyone he knows is named Barbara, and then this <laughs> film is actually for Barbara. It's it's the first credit when the credits start. Who's rolling. that? Who's the Barbara? That uh, oh, I, I don't I don't know. Oh. I think it just says for Barbara. It's I, I don't believe it's there's a last name. Someone should have done research. I should have done it. <laughs> well, it's Michael's the one bringing somebody. it up. It sounds like Michael should have done the research. Look, I, I, hey, I did hey, my research. <laughs> I did my research, and I, I brought the get Jeff Goldblum. This is his second credited <laughs> work, so that's that's the research I did. Thank you. <laughs> None of us bothered to figure out who Barbara is. Hey, <laughs> listeners, let us know who Barbara is. <laughs> but I, I, I still think that is an, an interesting, uh, an interesting part of the, this film. The way that, you know, we've already talked a little bit about Barbara and Susan, but the way that women kind of flit in and out of this film, whether it's the, you know, the person who is betting on Egyptian femme and, uh, you know, Charlie convinces her, like kicks this poor horse down for the longest amount of time until she says, I love when he throws the purse too. I, yeah. I, I hope they had multiple takes and they just took the worst one. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I find their whole I, their whole existence in in here is is so fascinating because it's it's not really ever you know I, I love the idea that he you know three nights a week you know Charlie could just be gone and that's just what it is. Like, you know, he comes in and he can have breakfast and, you know, the, the certain like transient lifestyle that they have, sure. um, it, it exists in such like contrast, especially to uh, Barbara and Susan. And, you know, you get that, you get that unfortunate scene with Helen, which might be the wor- the thing that has aged the worst in yeah. this. Yeah. Um, but even that has such a, a strange moment like uh, until after that scene you know where they're like what's wrong with what's wrong with him like it's it, it's kind of 
I, I I'm not quite sure what, what what I'm trying to get across about that certain thing, but I if we're talking again about something to offset this certain gambling film, I think the the, the presence of someone like Anne Prentice and Gwen Wells is is something that's such a different energy. Um, I, and and they were just they were ones that I I really was uh, grasping onto whenever they came uh, on screen. Yeah, they're both good, and I think the whole film in general. I mean, the Helen scene is rough, but I do think that there's a lot in this movie that wouldn't have been seen often on screen in 1974. I mean, even the poker room stuff and the two guys at the bar talking about seven dwarves with a woman with no pants on around the corner like that kind of stuff wasn't <laughs> as common i mean i hate to be that person saying hey let's look at this through 1974 eyes sure but a lot of the reviews i read did say hey this is showing us a side of life that we haven't never seen before i mean that's very much a part of roger's review right mm-hmm. and vincent canby's review i found too and they're both like this this is like we're used to uncut gems and mississippi grind and other films that have come since but this film didn't really this story didn't really exist. Yeah, because for a long time it was like stories about people like this doing things like this were, you know, it was low art. Like, why would you ever show that when you could do something? Or it like, was super uh, cool, like The Hustler or this yeah. thing. Like, you were either yeah. the coolest people in the room or the worst people in the room. And Altman's movie suggests, no, you're neither. You're just the, you're just the idiot at the poker table who gets into a fight with someone who breaks his nose in the bathroom. Like, it's just, it's much more practical and i mean realistic for lack of a better word i mean i love the fact that they get into fights with like everyone for 45 (laughs) minutes of the movie the lady on the escalator the guy at the poker table they're just they're the assholes in the room yeah 100 but not in an exaggerated like cartoonish way they're just people don't like them and they like each other and that's kind of what the movie is it's like two people unliked by most people in the room end up liking each other there's my log so are we ready for the Barbara thing? I got it. Oh okay, my god, good. you did it? Yeah, I got hey, it. Hey, who's Barbara? Uh, this is this is uh so this is direct from Wikipedia. Um yeah. and so yeah, uh actress Barbara Ruick, who played the Reno barmaid, died uh unexpectedly uh, wa- uh shortly after, I guess, uh filming um a cerebral hemorrhage. Uh you win 20 points if you can name this famous composer that she was married to. John Williams. Yes. 20 points. What do I, what do I turn my points into? <laughs> <laughs> the exchange rate uh, for points to the cashier. is very you can talk little. To the cashier. A spin on the Kino wheel. Whatever you play Kino. Yeah. So, wow. Tragedy in John Williams' life. Yeah, I knew that. Excellent. Damn, I had no idea. So is that the person playing piano then, or is it just the uh, the no, bar, barmaid? The so, barmaid. Okay. It says Reno barmaid. Yeah. 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 Yep. She's serving the table that Sagal's at. I think at the end. She's one of mm. three different actresses named Barbara that I am seeing just on the front page of this. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of common so, name in the era. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking also of sliding doors situations, uh, Spielberg was going to direct this until he directed the Sugarland Express. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow, very different movie. Very different movie. Maybe Spielberg yeah. directs it with Steve oh, McQueen yeah. in the starring role. Is what it sounded like. Which one? With Spielberg? Uh, no, yeah. no, like he would play. He would play Bill. 
Oh, a uh, starring role. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I mean, Bill is the, the star, right? Right, because we follow him to work and know about Spark and stuff. That's my guess. It's probably him. So, oh. huh. Yeah, that's a very different movie. Not just because of Spielberg with McQueen, it's a very different movie. with McQueen. Oh, it's a sure. way different movie, and I I yeah. think that you would say like, oh, this guy's a psychopath. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, McQueen would have played it like a psychopath. Yeah, so. with that face and those eyes, you're like, yeah. I don't know, man. There's something about Bill that I feel like what he really wants is to get into fights, and <laughs> he just uses gambling as a means of, of getting into fights. <laughs> yeah, pulling a switchblade in the bathroom. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will also say, uh, going back to uh, the question that people were asking about what's available. Um, so if you have Showtime, Gosford Park is available on there. Um, the Long Goodbye is on Prime. Uh, Images is on Prime. Uh, Cookie's Fortune is on Netflix. And The Player is on Criterion Channel. And everyone's favorite, Popeye is on Netflix. And I, I really want to watch Popeye because I've Popeye's the next one. Things. Talk to you guys next Monday for Popeye. <laughs> are, are, you a, say. are you a big fan of Popeye, Brian? No. I know there's a lot of people online who really no. like Popeye. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm a big Altman fan, as is clear, but Popeye and, and Popeye is kind of an interesting story because it was so hated at the time. And now, like you said, there's like a film Twitter contingent that's like that loves it for some reason. There's a, so you I guess can I'm find a film Twitter contingent to love any movie, yes, pretty much, especially <laughs> like a disaster from an auteur. The, yeah, an like auteur even disaster will have a film Twitter contingent. Even like John Carter was getting that for a little while. I saw, I saw some weird, speaking of John's, I saw some weird Ghosts of Mars flare up the other day. I was like, Whoa. what is happening? <laughs> y'all, y'all are fucking bored. People y'all, are just running out of corona. shit to do. We need to end this yeah. quarantine now. <laughs> yeah, right. When the Ghosts of Mars reappreciation starts, we need to get outside. Everyone Re- outside. Restart the economy and end the hot take <laughs> engine that is driving yeah. us crazy. Very much so. Well, like I said, any auteur who bombs gets a reappreciation. Popeye definitely has some fun stuff to talk about, but I wouldn't I wouldn't start your Altman journey with it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good time to mention that I've had Nashville on my shelf for twelve years and oh. still haven't watched it. <laughs> it's and one I've of my had... favorite movies. That tells you, if that says anything, it is literally one of my favorite movies. Oh. No, I've I've heard so many recommendations. It's a DVD now, so now I'm like, oh. yep, yep. I have that feeling when when you when you're you waited at a so DVD. long that the the media got outmoded. <laughs> yes. That's right. Well, no, can't watch like, it on like, my phone. I can't watch Nashville on my phone. So forget it. No, it's 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 more it's more of the quality of it. Standard you know, definition. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's just so abhorrent to watch, and I feel like that's that's a big thing of like when we transitioned off of like the CRT TVs and stuff like that. Like, you know, I never had an issue with with standard definition until I got a flat screen TV. <laughs> okay, what? Guys. I'm going to turn in my 20 points and send $5 to rent Nashville in, in, in no, HD. I can do that. So, <laughs> I'll give you five bucks and you can rent Nashville in HD. No, I just feel bad because I have it. I'm like, oh, damn it. It's a DVD. <laughs> it's also a $5 HD rental. Maybe, sure. Maybe less. 
<laughs> no, it's it's uh, three ninety nine on Fandango now. Right there now, there you go. Bill has just become our research associate for this episode. <laughs> I was not expecting this. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think if I, well, I know you you were saying uh, the music rights. I don't know. I actually really like the music and this. Like right, the they do a lot of, of singing. The, the, the when I heard about the rights, I assumed it would be like revolver or something i didn't expect like <laughs> mostly stuff that i was surprised would take that long to get rights for it yeah like a harry nielsen ripoff yeah, and right. <laughs> uh, then the the good like almost cabaret like folk music yeah i oh, i the was, end I the lady it. at the yes. end maybe it was all about paying the lounge singer at the end <laughs> maybe, like, <laughs> maybe her estate was holding up the music rights <laughs> I love that IMDb has the alternate versions and it says the DVD cuts approximately three minutes worth of incidental scenes and bits <laughs> because the distributor was either unable or unwilling to reach an agreement for music licensing. Yeah. <laughs> but those are the most important incidental bits as we've, as we've uh, got to cut some bits, man. <laughs> cut it and double it. God damn it. <laughs> All right, I think we're. Do we have any last thoughts? Um, Jeff Goldblum has uh, miraculously aged up and and also glowed up. Glow Holy up! Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! Like yeah, that he guy. Looks... Yeah, he looked bad. <laughs> he looked bad. I'm sure even for 1974, he looked bad. And he's a he's a handsome man now. So I don't I don't know. He's aging backwards. He's fucking. Uh, what what is it? Uh. Benjamin Dorian Buttoning. Gray. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Times were different in 1974, man. I mean, the other day I was talking to someone about like Elliot Gould being one of the biggest stars in the world. I don't think would yeah. happen now. Okay. Oh, no. So there, the, I, the, there was just a community. Uh, I, so I was rewatching the show Community, and sure. they, as we they, all are on Netflix, we all are <laughs> absolutely. And they they enter a part of Greendale that's been sealed up since the 70s, and someone said, "This place has been sealed up since the 70s." And someone said, "How do you know?" And he points to a sign on the wall and says, because the topic for debate team was who's the most handsome man in the United States, Elliot Gould or Donald Sutherland? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough, you know, it's a tough competition. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, and, and Richard Dreyfus was in that conversation. I was talking to friends on a, one of these quarantine happy hours we have to do nowadays and the topic of... The fact that Richard Dreyfus was a movie star came up and like well, Elliot Gould. Dreyfus... Dreyfus looks good in Jaws. He looks he looks what? good in Jaws. Yes, he looks I think like a math teacher. Uh, <laughs> he's he's got he's got the the beanie. The Listen, beanie. Jaws is one of my favorite movies of all time. But Richard Dreyfus and Jaws is not carrying a movie now. I mean, I hate to be the guy that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I I don't disagree. Wow, with that. what did what bad thing did you say about Jaws, Brian? <laughs> yeah, I didn't say anything bad about Jaws. I just said Richard Dreyfus looks like a math teacher. <laughs> no, we all know he's a music teacher. His name is Mr. Yes. Holland, and he wrote an opus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alright, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> oh, really? When you hit the Mr. Holland's opus joke, that's when you know the that's podcast right. is over? Yep. Time to wrap it up. <laughs> but Elliot Gould was a sex symbol in 1974, so all bets are off. As to how Jeff Goldblum looked. Okay, so really so cares. when when did when did uh, Sean Connery and and the Bond stuff really start off? Sixty eight. Sure, well, that was a different Doctor kind no. of movie yeah. star. I yeah. Think. Okay. 
I mean, I mean, maybe that that says so much about why he was so valuable to that franchise because he was such a sex symbol and such, you know, such a larger than life creation. And so sure. they absolutely were in the mud if they didn't have him as their star. Well, I'm certainly not saying everyone was ugly in the 60s and 70s. (laughs) No, no, there were at least six people who were attractive. John F. Kennedy. (laughs) Paul Newman and Steve McQueen were movie stars, so we don't really need to parse things here. But we're just talking about, uh, believe it or not, I was coming to the defense of Jeff Goldblum looking normal for 1974. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, enough. All right. Uh, so that's been our discussion of California Split, along with the, uh, I don't know, occult knowledge and beginnings of streaming services. Yeah. And the relative attractiveness of a 20-year-old Jeff Goldblum. Um, and the start of Mumblecore. And the start of Mumblecore, apparently, which literally is blowing my mind. No, yeah, no, I hate this. <laughs> like, I hate it. It, is, it is upsetting. <laughs> like, like, uh, yeah, and the fact that you mentioned win it all, which is a Swanberg movie, <laughs> yeah, yep. it's like okay, oh yeah. boy, all right. Well, we all get to live with that knowledge for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Brian, you're gonna say dozen pitches in a week. Swanberg, once I get off this podcast, <laughs> 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 I'm only half kidding. I'm gonna text him and be like, "So, was Altman a major inspiration for you guys?" <laughs> Cannot wait to hear what they say. I'll report um, back. Good. Excellent. That's what Hell. I want. <laughs> I don't know if I want to know, but please no. do. <laughs> He's just going to tell me to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm in quarantine. Why are you doing this to me? Right. <laughs> He's going to go, Robert who? Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Okay. <laughs> tell him. Tell him you have twenty points. You'll get him five dollars. <laughs> I'll give you my twenty That's points right. if you tell That's me. That's right. You can watch Popeye. I'll give you my twelve points if you can watch Popeye. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's the end. That uh, um, let's not forget that we are brought to you by Movie, a streaming service that does make sense because every day they have a brand new film for you to watch. And it lasts for 30 days, and then it disappears. And it is inside of that scarcity that we find order, and in order we find peace. Unlike every other streaming service, which literally we spent 10 minutes going crazy, and may have actually driven our guest insane, because now he is a plumbing conspiratorial thought, because he sees the disordered chaos and thinks there must be a reason behind it. This is like the Ready Player One episode for me. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe like it was the, bad on purpose. The protagonist no! of Pi, except he's looking at streaming <laughs> services instead of the stock market. <laughs> oh, <sighs> my God. Um, so that's a movie. M-U-B-I dot com slash film stage for a free 30-day trial. Um, Michael oh. Snydell, what are we talking about next week? We are talking about You Don't Know Me. The uh, Showgirls documentary, um, and I am extremely it. excited to talk about that. We're talking with uh, director uh, Jeffrey Jeffrey McHale. Cool. I'll definitely listen to that. Uh, no spoilers. It's just it's very Verhoeven heavy, which is cool. Like it's nice. kind of like De Palma, but with balls. Oh, yes, that's the best <laughs> thing you could have said. Yes. Yes. 
Not right. enough of it, but just enough that I remember being happy. Tribeca, I believe, 2005. The way life is nowadays, I can't really tell. But I think it was last Tribeca. I have someone, I was having a conversation with someone and legitimately could not remember the last time that we'd seen each other. And I was like, I don't know, like a year and a half ago? And they're like, we saw each other in January. I was like, no, we didn't. A year and a half ago. You go straight to hell with that lie. <laughs> I have forgotten movies I saw at Sundance in January. Yes. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Like, yeah, time's gotten weird. The Way Back yeah. was this year. <laughs> the Way Back is the only movie that I remember seeing. <laughs> it's the only movie. Gonna right. win all the yeah. Someone <laughs> someone brought up Birds of Prey, and I was like, "Man, last year was just not a great year." <laughs> and they're like, "That was like this year." I was like, "When? When did they have time to release Birds of Prey?" It's like two weeks before the way back. I know it was. It's so crazy. Okay. Well, here, here's here's something crazy. The Game of Thrones finale was a year ago. I think I think uh, on the nineteenth. Yeah, it was. Yes, and I I remember for a terrible reason, uh, is because it was shortly after my grandmother passed. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that is crazy, though. Remember when that was, like, the offensive thing that was, like, going to destroy the world? The Game, game of no. Thrones. It was like, this is, what, like, terrible. I can't believe it. This is awful. And now people are like, maybe I'll restart that show again. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> so bad after all. All right. So let's tell the fine no. people at home. <laughs> let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time we're in their ears. Let us start with our guest. Brian, why don't you tell people where you can be found online? I am the editor of RogerEbert.com and I contribute re- regularly to Vulture. Uh, and I have a few pieces posting at the playlist and Rotten Tomatoes. And those are the only ones confirmed right now. I'm occasionally at the New York Times and AV Club. All right. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. Uh, I recently watched uh, Mary Queen of Scots, and I actually enjoyed it. So fuck off, everybody that <laughs> thought that was garbage. Is that so, the one with Sir Ronan and Margot Robbie? Yes, it is. You yes, can't drop that at the end. Like, <laughs> a little more time with that. <laughs> but, I recently watched a, a, an awards contender movie from a year ago, and fuck you people. I liked it. <laughs> Yeah, right. Remember the movie that none of you remember? Fuck off. (laughs) Um, And you can also find me on the Slack channel mixing it up, but I've I've fallen desperately behind, and I feel like uh, it will end up like Nashville sitting on on Michael's counter looking at him, (laughs) just being like, I am so far behind. Speaking of Michael, Michael, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell. Uh, I am knee deep in intermission. Uh, the latest episode is Mirror with Logan Kenny, and that will be out this week. Uh, next week's episode will be Killing Them Softly with Roxana Haddadi. Um, and Wait, Killing Them Softly, the, the Andrew Dominic movie? Yes. Um, yeah, I, uh, Brian, we have I, an actual I, review of that. <laughs> uh, Brian, uh, what they do on this this time they watch it, they turn on the subtitles, so you wouldn't be interested. <laughs> what? 
I don't know where Bill's going with that one. I, anyway, uh, I also will have a review of the Vast of Night at the Spool on Friday. Uh, and uh, Brian Tellerico, if you would ever like to come on Intermission, uh, I haven't plugged it at all this episode. It is a podcast where a guest picks one art house, foreign or experimental film, and we talk about it at length. <laughs> so, I need a sneak peek on Vast Night. Do you like it? Uh, yes, I, I really liked it. And I think that all of the comparisons to Twilight Zone do it a disservice because I actually think it's a really good small town film. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That almost played uh, Chicago Critics Film Festival last year, over, oh. over a year ago now. Um, we got it at the last, this is way inside baseball, but we got it at the last minute. We had like one spot to fill and we didn't move quickly enough to get it. And I really wish we had, cause that movie would have killed at the music box on that big screen. It would have killed. Yeah. They were, it was doing a pretty good job at the drive-in last, last yeah. week. Oh, you saw it at the drive-in? No, no, I, I wish I, I just had a <laughs> screener, uh, but, uh, it'll be on prime, uh, on, on Friday. Uh, yes, it is. Yes. And yeah. everyone, I'm going to plug my site. Sheila O'Malley's review on RogerEbert.com of that movie is glorious. It's a four-star rave. Watch it and then go read her review. Michael, you could have watched the screener in your car and yeah, pretended it was go. at a drive-in. Michael doesn't have a car. <laughs> oh, that's right. You live in Chicago. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't leave my apartment. <laughs> Let alone oh, Fast of Night oh. at the drive-in would be so cool. I wish I could do yeah. that. Yeah, Michael Phillips in the Chicago Tribune did a did a very good piece about that that I, I would recommend reading. It's a great movie. It's going to be – I've programmed this festival for seven years now, and it's my one that got away. I so wish we had played that in Music Box. It would have been so cool. But anyway, enough of that. <laughs> it's great. Watch it. Ryan, on. where can we find you? <laughs> I'm looking at this, and I started playing the song that ends the episode. And I'm looking at it now, I'm like, oh god, we have 30 seconds until this song runs out. <laughs> so I'm gonna randomly ad hoc just skip back a minute in it. Um, so I can be found on my personal site, brianjrowan.com, all of the social media at brianjrowan, and of course, uh, thefilmstage.com, um, where you can find every episode of this podcast, including our <laughs> previous review of Killing Them Softly when it was released in theaters. <laughs> Michael, I want that to be like the primary source of information that you bring to that episode. Just be like, when this was reviewed in full on the film stage show, Nick Newman had this to say. Just have footnotes. Yeah, I, I could do that. I think about a movie that has a film Twitter contingent. That movie. People talk about that movie a lot. He's like the king of film Twitter contingents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, um, you know, I, I'm down with. I, I seem to remember finding Killing Them Softly interesting, but not really liking it that much. Me um, too, but I've wanted to revisit it badly. So likewise. Same. Likewise. I, I still quote the last line of that movie to everyone in my life. Um, so, anyway. I will also highly recommend, I think it's still on Prime, uh, Once More with Feeling, the Nick Cave doc he did is is fantastic. Oh, that movie destroys me. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's oh not an God. easy watch. No. <laughs> All right. Movie is so depressing, but really beautiful. I didn't know that was on Prime. That's a great I mean, that's movie. the best kind of movie. Yeah. <laughs> the one that destroys me? Yes. One that's like, so depressing, but very beautiful. You know? Yeah. Well, I love Nick Cave. And that story is just so sad, and it's a beautifully made, beautifully made film. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next time. 
when the deal 